We're in Beirut for a new episode of the Beirut Banyan, and we're joined by Majd Hadib, a partner at Hadib Law Firm. We discuss corruption, we put it in context, and reflect on the first steps necessary to address state failure. We also examine Lebanon's legal text and the strength of our constitution. Our conversation includes what political opposition could look like in the years to come, as well as addressing a fundamental need to pursue justice at all costs. This podcast is made possible by the generosity of listeners and viewers like you. Kindly consider a contribution through Patreon or PayPal. Links are in the details box. Any amount is appreciated. And follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. The handle, The Beirut Banyan. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And to stay updated with video releases, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Thanks for listening, and thanks for watching. I'm Rani Shatah, and this is The Beirut Banyan. When it comes to corruption, the positive thing that happened since October 17 is the fact that uh, people are more aware of what's going on. Um, at first, it was pure rage. It was pure anger. The problem, the problem wasn't really pinpointed. We didn't know what was wrong, uh, where, where the issue was mainly. Uh, but the more we dove into it, the more we researched, we started figuring out where the issue lies. Most people don't know that when it comes to, to, to the legal aspect, we are re- relatively good. Uh, the evaluation of all international uh, institutions that studies corruption and, and the, the, the legal framework to fight corruption uh, rate us relatively well. For example, the FATF, which is one of the most renowned uh, <coughs> anti-corruption organizations, uh, rate us as highly compliant when it comes to the text we have. So uh, the problem with the people in charge is that they're trying to to uh, to clean the mess they made to to make to give to work on public opinion. And the only way they have to practically convince the people that they're not corrupt is to try to propose new laws, try to to fix the, a broken legal system. They call it a broken legal system, which is actually not true. What's broken is the way they interpret that legal system. Legal system in general, I'm not talking, unfortunately, the problem goes beyond corruption. This applies to the constitution. This applies to, the, to, to, to all legal matters in Lebanon. Our texts are, and our, our laws are relatively good. Our regulations are modern. Uh, but the problem is with the people that are trying to enforce and to interpret that regulation. And uh, I'm, the good thing is that the crowd and the, the, we are more aware of the essence of the problem. And mm-hmm. we are not easily fooled anymore by some law drafts that, uh, that the people in charge and the people that originally caused the problem are trying to, uh, to propose. You cannot fix the problem if you are the one who caused it originally. When you say text, and that we're actually doing relatively okay is that can can i just ask you to go a bit deeper there what does that mean that in other words the text would support 
a cleaner environment if one existed so that the framework is accurate but that the incentive is not there because i'm curious how that relates to in terms of just addressing the issue that you can have great text but then things don't move forward and, and what is that text exactly is it sort of is it really just constitutional uh constitutional lexicon i mean what is the text exactly the text is, is the law basically but, but it varies from the constitution which is at the top of the ladder and it goes mm. down to uh, central bank regulations right uh, okay so it's the whole the whole setup is actually yeah okay mm-hmm. yeah, actually it's a rough translation from french and <laughs> that's why I, I didn't call it exactly the law uh, that's why i said it's the text uh, but Practically speaking, we have a perfect framework to fight corruption. We have an excellent framework. Anything we propose, uh, uh, anything we try to change at this stage is is just a luxury item. We are trying to buy a a Chanel bag while we we can't afford food. So so let's work on the essentials. We have uh, a good legal framework that is more than sufficient to fight corruption once the will is here. Once the will is present, uh, we have excellent ratings. We have excellent laws. And the problem, again, is with the people trying to enforce and to interpret these laws for their personal interest. Is this a first step in at least trying to get the right crowd in? And are we still in the initial stage of this? Because I'm curious whether or not there's any optimism in this discussion, knowing that things are not good. The economy crashed. There's political paralysis. And these are unfulfilled chants and desires. Is there any maneuvering space there, perhaps even long-term, that we have, we have the backbone, we have the structure, we just don't have the right crowd? The first step we need to take is basically pinpointing the, the issue, the main issue. Mm, mm. It, it, I, I talked before in a very general way, but go deeper into detail. Practically speaking, there is no way in hell we can fight corruption while we are under an occupation. I'm going deeply into a political uh, statement, but I'm I'm 100% sure that both issues are really uh, aligned. One cannot exist, we cannot fight corruption while under occupation. Uh, We haven't been a democracy since the 90s. After the civil war, we were occupied by the Syrian army. Uh, All our political system was crippled. And uh, in 2005, the the Syrian army went out and were replaced, just like in a basketball match. You go out, (laughs) there's a substitution, and the Iranian army or militia came in and took power in Lebanon. That's the first time in every conversation I've had. I've never heard the basketball tag team analogy. So I'll keep that with me. That's <laughs> it's like a, it, your turn. Because once, if you look back at it, it was, it was simultaneous. 2005, um, they left Lebanon 14 March. They left in April or in June. It was the end. And after that, immediately, our democratic system started being crippled again by a new occupation that this time was armed to the teeth and had a stronger cover than the Syrian one, just because of the fact that they were holding a Lebanese passport. The Lebanese passport is not something positive, it's a negative thing. We are not fighting a foreign occupation, we are fighting 
actually we are fighting a, a foreign uh, occupation, but a foreign occupation using local tools. How do you address your immediate work? And are, do you willingly acknowledge that there's not much you can do because of the political problems that are way beyond your control? A 45-page report uh, detailing infractions when it comes to um, allowing Iranian drugs, medications to be uh, used in Lebanon without proper verifications. Uh, it was, we worked on it for around three months. That report was <laughs> honestly rejected within four hours. Four hours, I don't know, I, I, I'm honestly admiring the, the, the work that these guys do because once you, you, you want to learn about a subject, you're learning about subject, reading a detailed report, going through all the, um, the attachments, within four hours, I really admire how fast our legal system is working when it comes to that. We were rejected within four hours. That, that, Honestly, that was probably the fastest decision that was rendered in the Lebanese Republic, in the history of Lebanon. Um, and I've you, seen and sorry to interrupt you here, I, I'll, I'll take liberty here. Just is it is it the subject that was rejected outright? And that would yeah. be, yeah. So it's got nothing to do with the case per se. It's just that the issue was being rejected. You said that there, there wasn't enough proof that there were, uh, there were legal infractions or criminal intent there. Mm. Uh, it was fast. You cannot determine criminal intent within four hours. The least you can do is, is look deeper into a file. And we're saying that there are drugs that might kill tens or even hundreds of people. But we're not stopping there. We're going to tackle the, the subject on, um, from another side. You know, when you start hitting the glass, it, you might crack it somewhere. And that's, that's what we're doing. And how, so, how do you... But how do you navigate this terrain? How do you do it? Because you're, you're setting up, you have a case and it's shot down within a few hours. What exactly is your drive there? And, and how, much, how much breathing space do you have to actually do your job properly? Because I'm curious what this means to you. And this is a great example. Medications that can kill. And there's a lawsuit. There's a case that's rejected outright. You're going to see other ways of chipping against the wall. Is that really all that can be done? In other words, just scratching a bit, knowing that there's harsh limitations when it comes to, and I like the word you're using, pinpoint, that, you're ha that you really cannot pinpoint the problem in Lebanon. People get turned back once they start doing that. And this is one example of it. So in effect, how can you do your job? You know, people who are in charge recently, who have been in charge since 2010, maybe since basically the 7th of May, uh, after the coup that happened, and since then we were no longer a democracy, people who were in charge ever since then are sloppy when it comes to, to corruption. They are sloppy. Mm. Mm. They are sloppy when it comes to, they don't even try to hide breaking the laws. So that for us is, makes our job much easier. We don't have to do a lot of research. We just watch TV and see in front I'm honestly not, not joking. It is funny, but I am honestly not joking. We see infractions and corruption on a daily basis on TVs. We don't have to dig deeper. Hmm. That's how sloppy they are. Unfortunately, uh, we are not being um, taken seriously by the judicial system. Uh, and that's really unfortunate because 
they, they have seen, the judges ha have seen where, uh, where we are now economically, uh, legally, uh, democratically even, and they are still refusing to take any proper measures to fight for the Lebanese people. In Lebanon, every decision rendered, it is issued in the name of the Lebanese people. So far, none of these decisions when it comes to uh, public corruption or corruption in the public sectors were issued in the name of the Lebanese people. And that's the biggest mm. issue. So what we're trying to do at this point, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna say it uh, honestly, uh, we are trying to prove a failed state. A failed state basically is a state that is not able, I'm not talking technically, but logically speaking, it's a state that is not able to render to the population or to, to, to the national or the residing uh, population any type of public service. One of these is access to justice. And once the judiciary is impaired in the way that it is, in, it is impaired today, it is one of the biggest, um, it's a proof that we are in a failed state. So what we're trying to do is to prove that we are in a failed state. It wasn't the initial intention. What we were trying to do is try to fight corruption internally. But right. we have already filed three public cases. We are working on around 60. And we know we're not going anywhere. But what we need to prove to the local Lebanese people and to the international community is that our legal system is also occupied. To prove that our legal system is inoperational. So we need your help. We need, uh, we need your help. We are a failed state. It's quite incredible. A lawyer is trying to make the case that he's battling a failed state and trying to prove it. It's almost like this is not the job of a lawyer to prove that the state has failed. The state should be, the state should not even be discussed in that sense. You should have something to work with, period. Instead, it's almost um, the rules are flipped. This is That's not, a, yeah, this is a, a, a crooked state that a lawyer is trying to put behind bars in a sense. But it's, it's, a, it's a very... I know it's a huge challenge, and I know you're not the only one vocal about this, but from your from your side, you're able to kind of, you're seeing it in a way that I think predates us. And I'm getting from you that the state has really been dysfunctional for so long that it's almost a, um, it's almost going back to the 1960s to look for answers. Now, I, I'll assume here, I'll assume that there's very little anyone can do right now. Beyond proving the inevitable, which is true, this is a failed state, but taking that and making it sort of translate into some political power, it seems unlikely at this stage. Is it just a, a matter of sovereignty at the end of the day? And I know this is maybe going beyond the discussion a bit, but at least when it comes to implementing a state's constitution. And I think that by definition is sovereignty. It's independent decisions, a state's decisions, not an occupier's decisions. Is it there that Lebanon lost its sovereignty and it trickles down in a way so that somebody like you or, or anyone trying to push for reform, the, the decent people within the system, and they exist, that they're unable to do much anyway. 
They can even reach the halls of power. They can become ministers. They can become even potential prime ministers or even president, whatever. They can make it all the way, yet they're shackled. Is that the core problem, at least when it comes to pinpointing the issue? Beyond influence, beyond the usual discussions that we have, that it's just that the state, its sovereignty does not exist, but we pretend it does. And here you have a lawyer (laughs) trying to prove that the state doesn't exist or at least doesn't do its job. So am I, am I reading you right there, that sovereignty is the core issue? Honestly, this is the perfect question. Um, and it is within the core of the matters we're discussing when it comes to corruption. Mm-hmm. People have the wrong impression that corruption is one thing and, um, and an armed militia or occupation is something else. And they try to hide behind the fact that the, the matter of, uh, of Hezbollah is a political matter, and that's why we shouldn't address it. We should talk more about the technical corruption, the day-to-day corruption, and that's how we tackle it. Um, honestly, my humble point of view is that you cannot fight corruption in a non-democratic state. All studies in the world show that Corruption and democracy are linked. So in a democracy, corruption is highly likely to drop. So if we want to talk about that, we go up in the ladder, in the chain of command. High up the corruption actually exists within the the executive branch, the Council of Ministers. Who fights corruption at that level? It's not me and you, it's not the judges, it's not the legal system. It is the parliament who surveys the, the, the executive branch. Unfortunately, in Lebanon, all the parliament is included in the executive branch. And right. that yeah. happened after Hezbollah's coup d'etat in 2007 and 2008. Before that, there, were, there was an attempt for a majority to govern and that majority to be surveyed by a minority and an opposition. So that, that tool at a high level is the first tool, is the first cornerstone to, find, to fight corruption. And that's something that has been impaired by what they call a government of consensus, by what they call a government of Wahdi Watani. It's, it's, it's not that. It, it's a government of Kharab Watani. It's, it's a government. <laughs> Uh, and and uh, honestly, you know me. My, my dad participated in that in that government. And I, I, looking back now, I'm sure he, he sees it as trusting people he shouldn't have trusted. He sees it as as maybe a mistake. But I see it honestly as a mistake because there no one can do anything within a government that is uh, that is not united. You cannot work. You cannot do anything positive. And, you, uh, and the negative will be, uh, you will be accused of the negative. So when people say killon yani killon, and everyone means everyone, they are right. They are basically right because everyone participated in these government. And the minutes of the meetings of the government are secret. Right. Yeah. People never know who voted for that or who executed that or who worked for that. Yeah. And going back to the origin of that problem and the government of national consensus, it's Hezbollah who imposed it in 2008 when they all went to Qatar and said from now on, a government should be formed with everybody in it. If everybody's in it, who's surveying it? No one's there. When we talk about that, we're talking about corruption on a higher level 
that is basically untreatable in that form of governance, in that form of occupation. It's just paralysis. It's not politics, it's paralysis. And, and that trickles down to rampant corruption, where even decent people take part, or they don't necessarily do much to stop it because they can't. So am I getting that right, that the regional politics is the curse and not, it's not that people are just born corrupt in Lebanon and are abusing power. It's, it's the regional structure that curtails accountability in Lebanon. Because I'm, I'm trying to actually see the, the direct link to why corruption got worse and worse. And it's easy to say Hezbollah, 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 but I'm actually trying to understand it. That is it, is it really just a geopolitical problem that brings out the worst in Lebanon? I, I don't see it as a geopolitical problem. A problem. Oh. I see it as a mm-hmm. problem. And uh, it's, it's, it's just it's simply an attitude within Lebanon. It's an attitude of, uh, of arrogance. Uh, it's an attitude of uh, simply the fact that we say that laws do not apply to us. Uh, it's an attitude of, uh, ne- honestly, I'm sorry for my term, not giving a shit about people's opinion. People in 2009, I'm sorry, I don't know if it's PG or not. <laughs> Maybe you can add it. But, uh, rated R, not rated X. Please don't go to X. We can stay at R. Restricted, not, uh, <laughs> not all the way. <laughs> I, I stand by it. I stand by it. In 2009, people voted in a certain direction. We voted for a free Lebanon. We voted for an unarmed Lebanon. We basically voted for life. At that, I remember back then, it was part of the campaign. Vote for life. We love life. And after the election, the day after the election, it was a second coup d'etat. Okay, you won the election. I'm sorry, you won the election. We admit defeat, but I'm sorry, you cannot govern alone. We have to take part in the government and have the tiltamati. And any decision we don't like, we cripple it and we stop it. It's, it's the decision of the people. It's an, it's an election. You are not fighting Tayyar Musta'abal or Uwet or whoever it is. You are fighting the will of the Lebanese people who in 2009 decided to vote for a certain movement and you crippled their decision and their belief by imposing a unity government. Democracy is simple. A majority governs, that majority is elected by the people, and the minority surveys. You, sir, Hezbollah, were a minority after that election. 14 March was a majority after that election. You didn't respect the will of the people. It's an internal issue. It's not geopolitics. You Mm. want to take government. You want to control all sectors. It is an internal issue. And it is the, the biggest um, obstacle to fighting corruption. Once corruption is not fought at a high level, because in parliament, a, a member of parliament has two roles, maybe. Uh, legal, uh, drafting laws, yeah. and most of all, which is a, a, something that is really neglected these days, is surveying the work of the government. So now the people in charge are ironically trying to propose laws and drafts and, and uh, press conferences talking about their victories with that law or that, that text or whatever it is. And they are forgetting that no question was asked to a minister. There is a tool they use to, to question a minister, to question a government, 
to to uh, to to refuse to give uh, trust. I don't know how, how to translate it. Uh, no. To refuse to accredit a government, or 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 to impose that a government resigns. You can do that as an MP. M members of parliament, when they say we are uh, an opposition from the inside, you cannot be an opposition from the inside without trying to accuse the president, at least, even if you know you're not going to have the proper number, try to impeach the president. Try to impeach him after the August 4th blast. You can. You yeah. can start the process. Try to impeach ministers who were rob robbing the Lebanese people. Uh, try to question ministers, stop their deals. You cannot say I'm an opposition from the inside. How are you an opposition? I'm proposing laws. The government will, will try to apply these laws. How, how will they apply it if you are not surveying every move they make? You are not fighting corruption. You are saying I'm an opposition. That's not how, how opposition functions. Before we go down, this is the road I want to go down with you. The rampant, I mean, the port blast is such a horrible yet appropriate example of not being able to hold a government to account let alone the string of political assassinations. And I think we share maybe a bit of baggage here. Thankfully, your father survived an attempted attack. But even then, that case sort of shows just how it's just impossible to hold that group to account. And those individuals are free. So there's that's the road I want to go down to. But before going down that road, in your limited experience, but I mean, it's probably the years that matter. And the years as the state has sort of eroded to a point that it's collapsing. Has the, is there any area on the Lebanese scene where there is respect or, or some, some respect for rule of law? It doesn't have to be in the issues that we're describing, but somewhere in the Lebanese scene where a lawyer can do their job accordingly and the state is there doing the right thing. And it could be even the most mundane issue, but are, can a lawyer do their job properly in Lebanon in, in any sphere? I, I'm, gonna be, I'm gonna give you a personal experience here, uh, an example. I came from back from the UAE, I was working there in, in 2014 and 2015. I came in 2015. The, the most important questions I, a question I was asked by client the day I got their file was, do you know the judge? Was the, that's the issue. Yeah. I don't know the judge. I know the law. Yeah. So it, it, showed, it showed me a lot. At first, I was honestly shocked. I, I studied for nine to 12 years, and now <laughs> I'm just looking if I know the judge. I could have spent all this time I spent studying on social interaction, <laughs> interactions with the judges. I was surprised. Now I'm used to it. And, and I don't want to be unfair here. I, I've, I know judges that are decent. I know judges that refuse even a, a, a dinner invitation. I know mm. judges mm. honestly block you <laughs> on social media, on, on their, their, their phone. Mm. Yes. You have to be in front of them. There are decent judges. They are helpless at this point. They are, uh, you know, the peer pressure there is huge. No, no judge goes into public service thinking 
I want to make money or I want to be corrupt or I, I, I want to smoke a cigar or drive an expensive car. They go in trying, having an idealistic approach. Unfortunately, along the way, they get disappointed because they see another judge, an older judge, sitting next to them in, a, in, a, in another office, living better, uh, enjoying life, getting promoted faster than they are, mm. and, and not being held accountable for all the corruption that is going on. But I like so, what you started off with. I really like that it's not the judge or even you're not being pushed to go the wrong direction. It's the client that's asking you, can you, is there a shortcut here? So has that become a situation where you even someone well-intentioned has to deal with your client who's also curious if there can be some circumvention of the system? Because I'm, I'm really curious if there's anywhere in Lebanon today that this doesn't happen. Wasta is not discussed. Uh, the system deals with it and it's fair. And that's the, the way it should work. Is there any, any sector that functions this way? No. <laughs> I tried to divert the first time to, to take time and think about it. I couldn't, I couldn't find any sector where that doesn't happen. Uh, again, not everyone is corrupt, but let's, let's go down the chain now. Yeah. Go to, to acquire a legal document, a simple law degree. Mm-hmm. Let's go that, that, that low on the chain. You have to pay the employee to enforce the law, to, to do his job. So, so no, honestly, I have, it's been a while since I've seen something work properly. I've seen decent employees. I've seen decent judges. But if you don't go to that judge, you can go to a corrupt one. If you don't do your paperwork with that employee, there's another one sitting next to him that will be willing to accept gladly a hundred bucks to get you on the fast track. And you're not doing something illegal. He's doing it. Right, right. Yes, exactly. Right. But he needs uh, an extra payment, greasing the wheels. I tried to take my time and think about an example and have an optimistic approach. (laughs) Couldn't find it. No, but that's actually good that you're saying it this way because it shows that that the problem is out of control. And I know Wasta, you could do a PhD on Wasta. It's like it's a it's an endless series of books, maybe on the whole the whole lexicon and the whole meaning of, of Wasta. But I would assume that this problem goes prior, that this is not a recent phenomenon in Lebanon, that there has been maybe a not a culture of corruption, but maybe a that this is not born just out of the civil war. And would it be fair to say that this issue is real, it was always there, but that the political problems made it so much worse that now it's sort of, it reflects the worst aspects of Lebanon rather than something that can be managed. And I'm, I'm, I'm guessing here, I'm guessing in the 1960s, a lawyer did have an easier route in Lebanon to, and there was something that they could work with. And the discussions of, can we get this judge to do our favors may not have been so easy, but um, it was probably fair. Just didn't take a life of its own. Exactly. Uh, talking to older lawyers who practiced law, even during the war, uh, they tell me it's never never been as bad as it was today. Mm-hmm. So, 
you can see a, a failure. We, we were not progressing. We were, we were doing very badly when it comes to corruption. Mm. And unfortunately, it's because of the lack of, let's call it awareness. We cannot, unfortunately, our legal system, our political system, our whole political system is based historically uh, on the za'im. The za'im who will help me with the wasta. It's, it's not a public servant. A za'im should be a public servant, not the one who breaks the law for you, uh, not the one who gives you illegal services or the one who employs you illegally. Uh, that's the transition that never happened in Lebanon. And right. that's the cause of, of, I think, all of the, our problems. Today, when you go campaign in, in politics and you, you start campaigning in, in, uh, in, rural, uh, in, in cities and areas and different areas, the first thing you are asked about is, can I, can, what can you do for me? Uh, what can you do for me? How can I get employed? Uh, what services can you, um, can you give me? And uh, it's a short-term game. The, uh, people are looking for a short-term game, and that's honestly understandable. I don't blame the people for that. But we cannot fight corruption if all the promises of the political class or the members of parliament is that uh, I will get you jobs. I will get you jobs even if the government can't afford jobs and, and the state cannot afford jobs. Instead of it being, uh, I want you to, uh, I will try to do my best for your son not to ask me that question later on. I want to build this, yeah. I want to build something uh, weak. I don't want you to look for your immediate gain. We, we should look together for a long-term gain. So uh, I think that's the, the, the main issue. That's the essence of the problem. So Zama, in the old days, could not exactly get away with everything. That the state curtailed what turned into a stateless, lawless, if you will, situation where these people have free reign to not even necessarily abuse the law, but even create the law on their terms, where what they want is the law, so to speak, in any given moment. But going back to the 60s, or maybe even earlier, that the state was able to counter that to a point, but now we don't have that institution to do, to do so. Because I'm trying to understand just how bad it got, why it got to this point, and why we're even, why there's very little maneuvering space for improvement. But if, if we want to go back in time a bit, why couldn't the Zama or, or public servants act the way they are acting now back in the 60s? Because if Kamil Shamoun acted that way, or Kamil Shamoun uh, members of parliament or government used to act that way, you would find the opposition just waiting, uh, doing right. Both ways right. yeah. to mess up for them to criticize them in public. What happened after 2015 mainly is that everyone was being corrupt, everyone was in the system, and no one was waiting and watching them from the outside. I'm going to take a single example, and, and that's a file I'm working on. Mm. In 2017, uh, the, the, the government issue, uh, the, the parliament voted on a law that said that it is illegal for you to employ anyone because our resources are drained and we, should, we shouldn't employ any more people in, in, in the public sector. 
Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> we had an election. And you know, during the election, there were 5,014 jobs that, that were given in one year, in an election year. And that happened after a law was drafted and voted on to, uh, to impose uh, the, the seizing of all employment in the public sector. So, so that's a small example. And, and no one objected back then. Why? Because everyone was benefiting from that law. And there was no proper opposition to object. And there was no proper surveillance. We personally, I personally filed a document requesting information about that. Uh, in mm. 2018, we, we asked, uh, I think it was, it was PM Saad Hariri back then. We, we sent a document requesting, please, can we know what's happening when it comes to public employment? We're in 2021. We still didn't get our answer from him. We had to use a, a, a not so by the book way to get that document. But but we're going to use that document. We're going to so, go to the failed state uh, judges to try to, to, to. So even the lawyer sometimes has to resort to WASTA to implement the law. Honestly, it wasn't a WASTA, it was more of a whistleblowing. It, it was more whistleblowing. So instead mm, mm. of employees going to judges who, in the eyes of these employees, are probably corrupt, they came to us, gave us documentation, told us something really messed up happened here, uh, and we are going to use these documents and we're going to make it public. Even if now we know that we cannot count on 70% of the judges in Lebanon, we are going to file a lawsuit. We are going... We are going to keep hammered. We are going to hammer the glass until a crack uh, comes out. So, but I like, to, I, I like the. I mean, it's almost setting the stage for the future, and I like that you're referencing an opposition over time. Let's assume that there is momentum now that is unusual, and this is perhaps more political, but that there are opposition parties that are forming. They may not make it, but the discussions are there. Some of them have names. Some of them are still ideas. Some of them are actual parties in the making, and they're on TV at times. A lot of them are familiar faces that have rebranded themselves. But nonetheless, there is something like an opposition stemming from the protest movement that is not part of the paralysis per se. I think it's trying, at least, to behave like an opposition the way you're describing it. From your side, what advice would you give to that opposition group now that's on the same page, that wants a state that they can hold to account, that wants to move away from this nightmare that we're living in? And you're one person chipping, but how could a party do so today? And I know this is a bit hypothetical, but let's assume that some MPs do make it in and you have new voices opposition voices, how much leverage do they have to actually pressure the state to do its job properly? When it comes to opposition at this point, it's not an internal opposition. They don't have the access that, MP ha um, that MPs have to information. They, they, they don't have the powers that MPs have. Uh, we don't have the powers that MPs have. Right. Yeah. So we, we cannot do much at this point. Uh, there is an election. We, we just... The thing we should learn from past experiences is that we cannot 
go into power, power meaning executive branch, with people holding a gun or pointing a gun to our heads. And we cannot go into an executive branch with our political adversaries. We have different electoral campaign programs. We cannot have the same executive branch. It should be a unified executive branch and we should face them from the outside. No matter how how difficult it is, we cannot go into power with people who have completely different ideologies, completely different projects, and say that they didn't let us. That, that's the new uh, uh, hip thing to say. Don't participate in power with them. Right. So, so that's honestly my humble point of view, and that's what we should all do. Never get greedy, never go into power, never trust people holding it onto our heads. Uh, just stick to our program, stick to the reforms we are trying to impose, and uh, trust that we cannot uh, make it work with the people who were against us, no matter who they are. This issue, this issue of political violence, which ties in a bunch of things here, it's a wall the opposition will hit should it try to enter power. It's something that we've unfortunately grown accustomed to. And it takes, sometimes it, it's so detrimental that it can destroy half the city. So in, in all of its shapes and forms, from political assassinations all the way to the port blast. The only hope I remember and trying to hold some criminals to account was a very problematic, divisive, mostly unpopular towards the end, special tribunal for Lebanon. That is not the Lebanese legal system on its own trying to do the right thing. That's an international mechanism with a Lebanese component, but in The Hague and also the political climate always made it a hard sell and a lot of perhaps propaganda against it that eventually turned it, I think, into almost a footnote towards the end that the verdict happened, a name was given to us, a report is there, but it happens after the port blast. There's no real appetite, I think, for really celebrating that verdict. Yet, that's the only time I remember where there was some accountability, even when those criminals are not in jail, even when that one name given to us is living, free, not in prison. Would it take another massive undertaking to address everything that we've seen? Because I don't sense, and you tell me if you feel the same way or if you don't, that there's going to be any justice to the port blast, at least if it comes from within Lebanon. I don't see it on the horizon. I, I don't think that there might be justice with all the political assassinations that came before the port blast, let alone the port blast, because what we are addressing at this point when it comes to the port blast is negligence. We are not even tackling who brought in that massive amount of explosives into the port. We are not tackling the, the, the rumors or the documented, documented rumors that, that, uh, that, that, this, that these materials were used to fabricate bombs for the war in Syria. And uh, I think that Lukman Steen paid the price for, uh, for raising that issue. 
Um, unfortunately, there has been a trend, and I, I'm honestly deeply saddened to be a lawyer and having to say that, uh, is that I, I cannot wait for the investigation. I do not trust the investigation. Uh, when, we, when we were angered after uh, Luqman Slim's assassination and we started saying, it is Hezbollah, uh, and, and we started voicing that, uh, other voices, even people opposing Hezbollah, started saying, let's wait for the investigation. We have been waiting since 2005 with, for an investigation, knowing who benefited the most from the assassination, uh, who had the powers, the power and the means to execute them, uh, who was accused directly by a foreign tribunal. What more should we wait for? Is it Israel that came and killed Luqman Asneem for us to accuse Hezbollah? We have been accusing Hezbollah since 05, and nothing happened. We couldn't even make a dent in them. Another assassination would not benefit us. It will make us lose again and again people we love, people who could have saved the country, and people who had new ideas to propose and were vocal about their opposition towards Hezbollah. We will not wait for an investigation when it comes to an assassination, or even when it comes to the port blast, unfortunately. Because we know who did it, we know who was behind it, we know who benefited. And the, the weird part is that they used to say, and I remember Evans ever since 2005, what, what did we gain from all these assassinations? Do you see where we are today? They didn't gain anything. They didn't gain anything from killing um, Pierre Jmail, Gibran Twaini, Samir Asir, uh, Muhammad Shatah, all the people who had plans, even who were vocal about them. Who, uh, we lost these guys and we got here because we didn't have these people to fight the, the proper fight. When Mustaqbal lost most of the, 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 the leaders and the good people in Tayyar Mustaqbal, they went into bed with Michel Aoun. Uh, when, when we lost people like uh, Gibran Twaini and Samir Asir and George Howey, um, not Gibran Twaini, Samir Asir and George Howey, the, last, the, the left, or they, they like to call it the left, went into bed with Hezbollah. Everyone that has gained from this assassination is Hezbollah and the allies of Hezbollah. Why is there no momentum right now for doing the same with the port blast? Killed more? Destroyed more? Sent hundreds of thousands, homeless. I, I live in an apartment in Madam Chai that's beaten up badly by this blast. A lot of us have injured loved ones. Too many people died and half the city is scarred from this. It's almost like the city was assassinated as well. So why isn't there momentum to do something similar? The International Tribunal was set once 14, the 14th of March coalition uh, took power and they were in the executive branch, and they started working on the international tribunal. Mm. Right now, when it comes to the Beirut blast, the executive branch, which is headed by uh, Hassan Diab and headed by Michel Aoun, are is actually accused of causing that blast. Uh, who will who will ask for an international tribunal? But back then, there was a government and MPs, a, a strong right. coalition, asked for that. At this during this time, no one no one is asking. That's interesting. So the state is being accused, therefore the state will never encourage this kind of investigation. Definitely. I'm, 
I, I, I don't see it happening that uh, a person that knew about the material, uh, who has military experience, uh, who has unlimited resources, who met with the, the, the customs director on a daily basis, I don't see it uh, as a possibility also for the PM who, uh, who knew had unlimited resources and met with uh, with the army generals and, and security uh, professionals uh, to 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 get themselves accused. They will not go to, to the international community and ask because that international community will either find them or the people controlling them guilty. They will be guilty of negligence, or Hezbollah will be guilty, or the Syrians will be guilty for bringing in this material into them. Going back a bit, though, is that the ultimate reason on your, if you were to look at hindsight, that we have these national unity governments permanently, that there's always going to be pressure on the state to turn a blind eye and to do, in a way, the worst bidding, whether it's... Yep, sorry, go ahead. I'm sorry. We will not have national unity government if the, the self-proclaimed opposition will not participate in them. Let Hezbollah govern. You want to govern with your arms, you want to govern using violence, you want to be a dictator, govern. Show us what you can do. Don't go into uh, to, to a government and give them an excuse to tell you later on in the media and to tell the Lebanese people, Mahaluna, they didn't let us work. Let them work. Let's see what they can do. The people will have someone to blame. Right now, the people have everyone to blame, and yet no one, because everyone participated in the government. Let them govern so that the people at the end of the day will blame them for the failure of the state, will blame them for the failure of the economy, and will blame them for, for us not being a democracy. We will, the opposition will start gaining ground on the, on the ground with the people, and that's how a second revolution will happen, and that's how all, in all the history of the world, people gained independence. It's by public opinion. Once the public opinion starts hating and despising the people, the, the, not the people, the foreign power occupying them, that's how you gain independence. Let them govern. Let them show us what they can do. Stop looking for a, a deal in, in the telecom sector, Saad Al-Hariri. Stop looking for a deal of future presidency, Samir Jazar. Stop looking for whatever it is you're looking for. Let them govern. Let them govern. Let them show us what they can do. I like what you said earlier, everyone and no one to blame. And I think that's taking the highest and lowest strands of killon yani killon. Everyone, everyone is to blame, yet no one is held to account. I, I want to talk about your relationship with your father. And the reason I'm, I'm bringing this up is because Every conversation I've had in, in recent weeks, and now a little more, uh, journalists or whoever, people that want to talk to me after Lukman Slim's assassination, it's almost like I'm now, I may be the go-to guy when it comes to talking about the worst stuff possible. I get calls, I, have, I, I answer them regularly, talking about the string of successful and attempted assassinations. And I always think of you when I think of your father when it comes to the attempted. I also think about Meishadye. I mean, I think of Elias Mur. I think of other names too. But your father escaped in a way that was 
I remember watching it live on TV and that whole elevator story and the, the acting of people pretending that they work for Eminem and all that stuff. And then the getaway car almost seemed like this, could, this should be on Netflix now. This is not real life. This should not be real life. And it was real life. And I vaguely remember this overhearing a conversation my father and your father were having on the phone. And I remember sort of in the background that the story was huge. And then it kind of settled to a point that people are like, well, this man made it, so it's not going to be that big of a deal. And I thought this was terrible then, that Lebanon has grown so accustomed to a political assassination that when somebody miraculously is spared, so like, well, nothing happened or the bullets that were shot at Samir Jaja. Well, they missed him. Meshadia is disfigured, but she can still talk and walk. It's almost like the bar is so low. Marwan Ahmedi was put back together. That's not normal. And I'm curious in a psychological way, how do you cope with that? I, I, and I know it's, a, it's an unfair question because I'm putting you on the spot. And I'm also maybe, maybe leaving the conversation to more emotional, psychological terrain. But this is really about accountability. At the end of the day, you want the group that tried to kill your father to go to jail just as much as I want the group that killed my father. I want them in jail too. So there's a common thread here. And I'd love to know if this made you reconsider in a way your relationship in any way to Lebanon or for that matter, maybe your own professional career that you see maybe justice and, and law and these things part of you as well, B beyond just being a family sort of career, beyond, beyond pursuing your father's goals. I mean it just for you, how this impacted you, individually, professionally. Uh, okay, well, uh, <laughs> when it comes to trusting the legal system, it's very difficult to trust the legal system once you have seen people you love get blown up to pieces and, uh, uh, or almost get blown up to pieces and, uh, and nothing has happened on a legal level. Uh, I have, uh, we were really close friends with uh, Gibran Twaini uh, and his family. I remember growing up around him uh, and we lost him in a very bad way. Uh, well, I, I remember having the honor and sitting in a meeting where you, your late father was and listening to him speak, listening to his idea, uh, ideas. And that's another person we lost. Uh, I remember losing Samer Hanna, uh, uh, an Air Force pilot. Uh, and unfortunately, the killer in, in, in Samir Hanna's case was let go six months later. I, I, honestly, I, I can't find the words to describe how, how disappointed someone can be with the legal system that had the killer of a Lebanese army officer uh, in cold blood, shot, dead, executed, and let go six months later. If you want to ask me about my if I'm doing this for revenge, if I'm, I'm just doing what I'm doing for things like that never to happen again, or, or at least try to stop them from happening again. And 
I'm, I'm going to say that again. Unfortunately, you said that people get used to the political assassinations. And the sad thing is that we get used to political assassinations and, and uh, it becomes something very usual. It becomes something that, that we live with, that, uh, that we deal with. Uh, we're no longer afraid of political assassinations because we were living with political assassinations since 2005. I remember my dad leaving the house and us, me and my sisters, and my half-brothers and my half-sister, uh, waiting for him to come back, not knowing if he's going to come back. So what's happening now, the, the, the threats, the, the, uh, the political assassinations as well, is, is not something new. And we're used to it. And, and we're just working so things like that never have to happen again. I think shedding light on this subject in itself is a form of justice. And I think uh, these are the conversations I, I enjoy the most. It's with people that have had a direct relationship to this level of violence that is so unusual, yet all of us have grown accustomed to. And for better or worse, the port blast, I think it damaged all of us. And I think it uh, perhaps, perhaps opened the door to finally addressing what you described earlier, pinpointing the problem. The conversation is happening. And it happened increasingly in the last few months. It took off with Lukman Slim's assassination. But I hope that those conversations yield to political change. Because it's almost easy to see that the conversations are getting louder. People are focusing in on the problem. And the state is also dying at the same time, which is a terrible mix. You don't want these things to coincide. You want the state to be reborn and, and, and function. And... I hope we live long enough to see that happen, but um, I don't know. The story about uh, this country's uh, story is very, 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 very damaging. <laughs> and I, I appreciate you being able to put some things in context. And in particular, something you said at the beginning, which is that we actually have the right text. We have the correct legal framework. We have a state that could work should we choose it? So that's some room for hope too, that we didn't at least throw away what we created, which was something sound. And perhaps it can evolve in the right way one day and fills in for the mistakes that it had at the beginning, but were never properly addressed. They could be addressed one day. But that said, thank you, Majd. I asked you a lot of things on the spot. You're very kind. And uh, I look forward to seeing you perhaps on the streets of Beirut as the lockdown eases. And my best to your father and the family. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good one. Thanks for listening and watching. And a friendly reminder to support this podcast by contributing through Patreon or PayPal. All links are in the details box. Until next time, I'm Rani Shatah, and this is the Beirut Banyan.